some of you know me from leading, I lead a connect group with my husband, so a few of you are here, um, and it's great to see you. Um, but I'm here to speak about God's hope today. And first, I want to turn our eyes to the screen um, to have a little bit of fun with this picture. It's, um, it was a trend on Facebook a few years ago, and it's an optical illusion, and it should come up in a second. There we go. So just for a little bit of fun, I want you to speak amongst yourselves. What colours do you see? I'll be back in a second. Okay, so how many of you see blue and black? Okay, you're on my husband's team. Who sees white and gold? You are my team. Um, I had a debate about this all evening, and actually in different lights, you can see different colours at different times of the day. And we all see things differently, don't we? And often we see things that, that no one else can see, or sometimes there's colours there that we cannot see, but someone else can help us see them. So with that in mind, I want to turn to the next, the next picture. A few years ago, I was in the British Art Museum and I came across a famous painting by Van Gogh, The Chair. Has anybody seen this before? Yeah. So I really like his paintings, but this one for me kind of like had me standing in awe. And this morning, actually, I shared it with my, um, I was doing Younger Youth and I shared it with some of the girls there. And they said when they saw this, it made them feel depressed. Um, even come to tears. And one person said she was so angry that she wanted to smash the chair up. <laughs> um, but you may see something completely different. For some of us in here, we're mums. Um, this may just be an invitation to rest, um, a time to sit down. And some of us have finished our exams and we probably just need that sit down. For my seven-year-old, um, he said it made him feel lonely because there was nobody there and there was no one to talk to. And if you know my son Elijah, you'll know that he speaks for England. Um, so that makes a lot of sense. But the reason why I'm showing you this today is because to me, it stood out empty and alone. And Youthscape brought a study out a few years ago now, um, and it ran across multiple um, universities, and they asked 55,000 young people um, who, who of them felt isolated and 40% said they felt isolation. And one in four people at this very moment in the UK struggle with a mental health issue. And that means in the room, there's probably a lot of us that have felt isolation at times and loneliness and anxiety. So today, I don't wanna focus on that too much, but I wanna speak about the God of hope in those broken and messy places and the places we may feel isolation in the places we may feel grief. And um, I want to share about two women in Genesis um, chapter 21. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, get them out. But if you don't, it will come up on the screen. And I will be flying through the scriptures because there's quite a lot. Um, so it's one to 18 I'll be looking at today. I'm one of those preachers that like a three-point sermon, mainly because I'm still up in the night with my children, so it helps me focus. So hopefully that will be a blessing to you too. Um, so to start with, I wanna speak about God is hope because he provides. And um, I have a funny story, it wasn't so funny at the time, um, where we very nearly got stuck in Mexico. And I was newlywed, I've been newly married 
10 years now. Um, it's been a long while and I give my husband one job to do, was to book our honeymoon. And some of you know my husband and that's brave for me to do. And so a few days before he said to me, I've booked the best honeymoon you'll ever, you know, it will be impressive. And he said, we was going to Mexico, it was a five-star holiday resort. The only problem was we had zero money. So where did he get this money from? Unless he had a secret stash. And then the night before he said, Leah, I spent the money on my mum's credit card. So he made us become in debt by quite a lot on the first day of our marriage. But he said, <laughs> <laughs> and I was already married to him, so there was no way out. But he said, I just had this flicker of hope that God would provide on our wedding day. And God saved him, guys. Like there was no way out anyway, but he saved him. God did provide to the penny. And, um, but that wasn't it. We was young, not sensible at all. And we went to Mexico and... Um, we was there and we had the best time. Like we swam with dolphins, we zip wide across the jungles, we swam in deep caves, we had a la carte for dinner, cocktails for breakfast. Like we went out. And then we got to the airport ready to go home and we had no, no money for rent, by the way, when we got back. And, uh, but we weren't even back yet. And Judah should have paid a tax. That was quite a hefty sum. And they said to us, unless you pay this tax, you will not, you will not get out of the country. So we're both terrified and we was only married two weeks, so we had to be unified. <laughs> so it was like, okay, we're gonna do this together. We prayed, we went over to the cash point and we hoped that God would provide, <laughs> but he didn't. And thankfully, a couple behind us saw that we was having a bit of trouble and saved us that day. Thank you, Jesus. And... Um, on the chair story, we was pretty poor when we got back. We needed our parents to pay for our rent and food. I think we even got a food bank. It was pretty bad. Um, but we really wanted some chairs for our dining table on the chair theme, and we prayed. And actually, I was a, a hairdresser at the time, and someone came into the salon and said, and she wasn't a Christian, but she said, I have four chairs. I just really feel like you should have them. I was like, great. So God provided there. But, hey, get better. That was my fault, sorry. I just switched myself off. <laughs> Great start. Great start. That means we need to get some scripture. Hagar's and Sarah's story was a little bit different to ours. They didn't have the luxury of a credit card or friends on a five-star holiday resort. Um, but they did have God. So let's turn to scripture. In verses one to eight, we see Sarah, who's our first woman. God comes to her and says, now is the time you go into bore, you're gonna bear a son um, that she'd been waiting for for 25 years. His name is Isaac. And um, in this waiting period, you could have imagined that she probably would have had to watch her friends have children, watch them grow up and she still had no child. And in that waiting season, she probably saw a child be born, get married, have their own children before she even got to this space. And what I really want to talk about in this moment is like God in the waiting, when hope feels like it's void. 
when hope feels like it's not there, that God is absent. And you, you know, those times when you're like, God, you promised you would turn up. You promised you would give me a child. You promised you'd give me a friend I could count on. For us, we had our own little waiting season to go through. Um, and in 2018, we conceived our second son, Reuben. And as you can imagine, we was overjoyed, so excited, and um, so sort of naive to the things of the world, really. And I can really relate to Sarah in verse six, where it said, the happiness brought her laughter, and everybody knew about it. And um, I told everybody so early on that we was pregnant, and we got to our 12-week scan, and um, I was there excited, expectant, but sadly, the, the um, nurse in the room said, your baby is not looking like it's gonna survive many more weeks because there's so much fluid around the neck. And to be fair, I didn't feel like God was near in that time. It felt a little bit hopeless. It felt like the weight of the world was on my shoulders. And some people said, it's fine, you're young, you'll have another one. But I wasn't happy with that. But that flicker of hope, just something, I just thought the only thing I can do is pray. So we did. And when we prayed, God turned up because on our 16-week scan, all the fluid had left Reuben's body. And that meant that he could live. And we, it, God provided a miracle. It was, it was such an amazing few weeks of living that miracle out. And it reminds me um, of the next bit, reminds me of Sarah in the waiting in verse 9 and 10. It says, um, yeah, it says that basically Sarah in her waiting didn't just pray and wait patiently. Hagar, our next woman that we're going to be speaking about tonight, she gave Hagar, the slave, to her husband to have a baby called Ishmael. And so she kind of like went ahead of God and she planned. And we did this too. We planned what our life would look like with Reuben. We went out and bought a cart. We went out and bought baby grows. We did the whole things that new mums do. Um, and on our 18th week scan, we went into the hospital again, excited to see what our ba you know, baby girl or boy would be. And they said, sadly, that there was multiple holes in his body that would mean that he'd need major surgeries and probably wouldn't survive. At this moment, I was like, I made plans. I made plans to grow with this child. And um, sometimes, don't we, sometimes we run ahead of God, you know, like Sarah did. Sometimes we go, I want things quicker. So we give birth to things quickly. Um, but sometimes that doesn't work out. And for Hagar, when she gave birth to Ishmael, she didn't know what was going to come. In the next bit of the, the passage that we're reading in verse 10, it says, Sarah got fed up, fed up of Hagar. It says in the scripture that she's found Hagar mocking her son. And Sarah did not want to share inheritance with this other son of Abraham's. So she threw her out. So now Hagar is, is desolate. She's, she has nowhere to belong. All she has, it says in the scripture, is a bit of water and a bit of food for the journey. And that's all she had. And maybe you're here today. Maybe you feel a little bit like that, that you've been left out to dry. And I think sometimes in life, these are the bits we focus on so 
so hard and like the chair we've just shared, sometimes we focus so much on the emptiness, the isolation that we don't see hope there. And something that my seven-year-old profoundly said after I said, I can find no hope in this picture of the chair. He said, mom, there's a door, there's a way out. And then I remembered, oh God, is the door. Jesus is the door to salvation. In John 10.10, 10, it says, Jesus is the way to salvation. And all we have to do is walk through it. In verse 13, this is such a huge part of the scripture and why God provides and the God of hope comes into our life with provision is that in verse 13, he blesses both sons. He blesses both sons. He didn't say, oh, I'm not gonna bless I'm not gonna bless Isaac. Sarah went way too far ahead and did all she wanted to do. Meant to listen to me. He didn't say, I'm not gonna bless Ishmael because he was never part of the plan because that's a lie. God bless both sons. And I feel like some of us here today need to shake off some of that shame that we've held where we may have gone before God in a hurry and we need to lay it down at the cross like we were singing earlier. And this brings me to my second point. God is hope because he listens. And in the next piece of um, the passage is 15 to 17. So I'm gonna read this bit out. And it says this. When the water was gone, she put the boy in the shade of a bush. Then she went and sat down by herself about 100 yards away. And it says, I don't want to watch this boy die, she said, as she burst into tears. Some of us are empty here today. Some of us are a little bit like Hagar. We've come and we're like, we've had enough of the waiting. We've had enough of things going wrong. We've had enough of the grief and the loss and the constant bad news. And maybe just like Hagar, what we need to do is we need to lay our stuff at the cross. Maybe like Hagar, we need to lay our grief at the cross. Maybe like Hagar, we need to leave our questions at the cross and choose Jesus. Maybe for some of us, we need to leave our isolation at the cross. And something that is so profound in this message is that Hagar doesn't just lay her son down at the bush. She also takes a step back. And when we take a step back, it allows God to move in to the in-between stage of our grief and our hope. It allows God to change things that we cannot change ourselves. We cannot change whether someone's dying or not. We can't change that people leave us. But God can change and he can bring hope. And when Hagar takes a step back, she weeps. And in that moment, God hears God hears her prayer. God hears her son's prayer. But you know the most amazing part about this text, it doesn't say that Hagar prayed the most amazing prayer and then God came. All she did was cry. All she did was cry and God heard. And in 1 Peter 5, it says that we should cast all of our anxieties onto him because he cares for us. He doesn't just care for the small things or the large things, he cares for all things. And some of us need to do that today. We need to take our anxieties to the cross. And that might look different for all of us. But next, the next part of 
the passage. It says that God sent an angel to Hagar. And you're sitting here today and going, no one sent an angel to me. But look to the side of you. Look around. God sent your community. God sent your friends. God sent your connect group. God sent those who have parents to you. And you may not have God speaking an audible voice saying, how are you? Like this angel says, what is the matter, Hagar? But God is saying that. God is saying, how are you? But sometimes it comes out the voice of our friends, out the voice of our community. And God is saying to you, how are you doing? And if you've got no one asking you, how are you? Find a person and ask them. God is a good God. And for as we finally arrived to our due date, I mean, we was never ever meant to get to even 16 weeks. And um, Reuben was born. And I got to see my child that I prayed for. God provided a miracle and he listened to my prayers and my weeping. And we got all that way. But sadly, on the fourth day um, of arriving at the hospital, um, they said that Reuben had a condition called trisomy 18, and that meant it wasn't compatible with life. And that meant we had to go through another waiting season, another season of God providing, another season of praying, going on our knees to God. And that season was hard because the next days ahead, I didn't know if I was gonna wake up to a child that had passed away in the night. I didn't even dare sleep. I was like, God, where are you? He says in your word that you were gonna provide. It says in your word, when I ask, I will receive. So why is this happening? And maybe today we're here with our wives. You know, God, if you're so good, why? But God is a good God. And for us, four days later, I was on the phone to my mum, bless her soul, but she, me and her was like talking about what it was going to be like when we got home and um, how Reuben was going to grow up. And I had so much faith that Reuben was going to survive. But in that moment, Reuben's breathing started to deteriorate. And in my denial, I called a doctor over and I said, could we have some oxygen? Because that was kind of the norm for us. And um, he said, sadly, it's time. And I was like, time for what? Like, I was in so, so much denial. And he said, it's time, he's dying. And in that moment, my whole world shattered. I prepared, I'd planned, I'd received God's promise. I'd received a miracle. Why was this happening? And for some of us here, your story may not be like mine. And maybe it is. But God still cares about what you're waiting for, what you've lost, the isolation you're experiencing. And the most amazing part about this story, and there is something, it was such a sad time, but the next day I had this flicker of hope, and that's what I call them now. But like my son said, there's always a door. There's always Jesus in the room, even when we do not see it. And I really sense that God says, go to church, because it was a Sunday morning the next day, and it felt a little bit surreal, because I was like, I can't do that. And we were so far away from home, 
And um, so I looked up the most nearest church and we went to it. And um, we sat down and this couple came over to us. She was, there was called Barry and Carol. Such great, great people. And now our really close friends. But they sat down and they said to us, we really feel like we needed to come to you today. You see, we lost our daughter about 20, 30 years ago. And God needs to know, needs you to know not to give up. He needs you to know not to give up in the loss. But she didn't know our story. And I've never met these people before, but they weeped with us. They worshipped with us. They held us. And ever since then, they've been a part of our journey of restoration and healing. And it's so amazing how God listens but sometimes we don't know we need it ourselves. And in Romans 8, it says that even in our weakest moments where we do not know what to pray, God then intercedes on our behalf. So there's times when you don't even know what to utter out because the grief is so hard, the isolation is so hard, but God knows what you need. And for us that day, he sent Barry and Carol. And you could say, well, why didn't you provide healing for Reuben? And I don't know why, but I know that he listened and I know he sent those people to us. My third point of this evening and is God restores. God restores. Carol and Barry was a part of our restoration. And there's been many more on the way. Um, for Hagar, in verse 19, we see that God opened her eyes and she saw a well. So she saw a well. You may not see a well, but this well represented much more than just some water. See, God didn't just provide water in a bottle so it just get her through the day. No, he provided a well to get her through life. And some of us in here, we have small prayers we need to be praying big and brave and bold prayers that God will provide a well of hope for our church, our families, the hopeless places in our life that won't just get us through the day, but will get us through life. And for us, I feel like that's what God did. And, um, but it's hard, isn't it, when your prayers aren't answered, that you feel like, this life to the full that God promises. In John 10.10, 10, it says that God gives us life to the full. Only the enemy takes away from us. But when our prayer isn't answered, that is sometimes hard to believe. But the hope that God gives, it surpasses all the things that the world can provide, even healing my baby boy. Hope is sometimes not seen or felt, but it is known deep within. It's God, the perfect God, over our imperfect circumstances. And I don't know where you need filling today. I don't know where in your life you need God to bring hope. Whether, you know, in your isolation or anxieties, maybe you need actual financial help and you, God needs to fill you with provision. Maybe God needs to give you a community and I know you will find it here, as I have. But for us, another picture will come up, and the last picture um, is 
of a community. Um, so before we lived here in Watford, about four years ago, we lived in a town called Skegness that I loved dearly and live, was, grew up there, went to school there, my friends are there. These people, while we was in hospital, not knowing whether we would see our sons next day or not, these people walked through the town centre. There was my old teachers there. There's people that used to treat me in the doctors, my old school friends, my colleagues. Everybody in the town got together and they walked the streets with support the buckos. And then they baked cakes and did a fundraiser. And that is restoration. That is where true restoration lies, is in our communities. And I really feel like this is a word for our church right now, that we may be missing so many different things in our lives, but one thing we do have is each other. One thing we do have is our communities, the people that we love, and they're, they're gonna rebuild this community. You are gonna rebuild this community together. And I know it's hard right now, but I know there's hope and we can't do anything without us all coming together and laying down our resentments, our envy, our should-ofs or could-ofs. We need to lay it all down so that God can move and we need to move out the way so that he can get in the way and he can start changing things that we cannot. And together as a community, I truly believe that there will be restoration in this church and town, city for Watford. And so I come to the end of my talk now. And um, I just want to leave a bit of space for the spirit to come. Because I really felt like this week when I was preparing this message that there was some here with that emptiness that hopelessness, and maybe you're just here waiting, still waiting many years on, waiting for the promise that God is going to give you.